sorry, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. That was that's simply what John Bunyan said. It's the same thing that happened to, to Pastor Coates and to you, Pastor Stevens. It's the same thing. And I don't know why we have to relive history. The answer is no. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide Podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize the faith. Welcome to the Carpe Fide Podcast tonight. How are you doing there, Jess? I'm doing great, Justin. How are you? I'm fabulous. I'm more well-rested than the last episode that we recorded. That was a bad episode. We apologize. <laughs> I want to retitle it the episode of which we do not speak. <laughs> <laughs> but tonight's a new episode. It's a new episode. Turning over a new leaf. This new is episode, episode. New mercies. Yes. Praise the Lord. This is episode <laughs> 86 of the Carpe Fide Podcast. And uh, with the 80s, we have been saying... Cowabunga. Oh, dude, we did it. Got, we got it right. We did. All right, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, in episode 86, we have a wonderful guest. We have, uh, we have longed to connect with uh, in, in the Carpe Fide podcast space, although we feel like we vicariously know him uh, through his wife because she's been graciously messaging us. Uh, thankfully, he has avoided much of the social media plague that is upon so many of us in our culture. <laughs> uh, but... We are on with the one and only pastor of Fairview Baptist Church, Tim Stevens. We might have other elders that you can't say that. Okay, that's fair. We are on with (laughs) the... You really ruined it now. I don't even know how to introduce it. I didn't ruin it. You did. Pastor Tim Stevens, how are you tonight? (laughs) Doing fine, guys. Thanks for having me on. How many elders are at the uh, Fairview Baptist Church? (laughs) We have three elders. Okay, I've only offended two Two other people. or, Or... Three others. But we need we need a whole pile more. So if any of your listeners are interested in helping us out here in Calgary, we need we need elders. Yes, it will only require several ounces of blood. The promise of your firstborn. Oh, uh, no, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> but there are qualifications. We don't skimp on those. <laughs> That's, right. That's awesome. Uh, you heard that, people. If you're in the area and you are not connected in a church, first get connected in a church. Be involved in in a church. Perhaps consider Fairview Baptist Church, and then consider the God's call upon your life. Men, where are you at? Oh, that's anyway. neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. We have so many questions for you, uh, Pastor Stevens. Uh, probably, Jesse, if you want to start off with an, with easing us into letting everyone recall and reconnect with Pastor Tim Stevens. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, ironically, I I, <laughs> I guess ironically, the the whole story is absolutely convoluted. But anyway, so turns out we were talking to. Um, Trevor's wife on Instagram, which was hilarious because it was like a weird connection through like multiple different provinces of Canada. Um, and then I was like, Oh, Stevens, I'm like, any relation? They're like, Oh yeah, no, that's my brother. I'm like, what? Okay. All right, cool. Um, but yeah, so, um, pastor Tim, I mean, we've, we've made a, we've made a shirt that would help, you know, support you, uh, through a lot of the COVID's goings ons. But, uh, I think first and foremost, uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar, um, I, I am sad to say that I don't think your story hit quite as hard as Pastor Coates's did in the States, at least from the people that we've been talking to at the conferences we've been at. So like, tell us a little bit about who you are, who, your family, and uh, a little bit about Fairview Baptist Church, where you're pastor. Yeah, I've been a pastor here at Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary since 2014, and uh, my wife Raquel and I, we have eight children, four boys and four girls, and so that keeps us busy. And at the same time, um, gives us much 
much joy and much sanctification. So I recommend that if you want to uh, fast track your sanctification, have lots of children <laughs> and uh, pastor a church. These are all very helpful for your own, uh, for your own soul and growth. Amen. Uh, so we, yeah. yeah. So I've been pastoring that church for, for, for a while. And this was a church revitalization. It was a smaller church. I just wanted to come and be faithful and preach the word as best as I could. And, uh, and we were, we were doing that over the years. And then of course, when COVID came around, uh, we, we decided really early on in the pandemic, um, you know, as, as a church and, and myself, especially as a pastor that, and we, we need to be open. We can't, we can't be closed. And, and we were doing that for a while, just under the radar. But then of course, uh, greater attention was brought to some of these non-compliant churches in our country. And, uh, yeah, you guys saw some of the things that happened here, but I was, I was arrested twice and put in jail twice and stayed there for a total of 21 days before coming out. And, uh, that has really led to, um, just an increased attention upon our church. And so many have, have come since that time and just to hear the gospel and to, uh, to, to grow as disciples. So I, I'm, I'm excited about kind of where things were and where things are at now. So in a lot of ways, you know, my life is, is pretty much unchanged. Um, I'm still trying to faithfully pastor and preach the best sermons that I can, uh, faithfully serve my, my family, to love my wife and to raise my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so that's, uh, that's my goals. Yes, and amen. We always say that faithfulness is the metric. Yep. No, that metric matters. That is the measure. Um, Oh, this next question is your question, Justin. Why don't you segue into this question? I'm on it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So as you you sought to remain uh, faithful to God's word, to hold church, even though uh, local and national magistrates were, were... Condemning you for it. We're telling you that they were actually in control of the body of Christ uh, How did you see the word coming to bear and particularly coming to bear in your in your sermons as it as it was bumping up against what was essentially public policy at that point? How did you see the preaching of the word grow that? that desire to remain faithful to Christ Yeah well, obviously, as as a pastor, you know, I I wanted to to lead our congregation with the word, and so the, the teaching of the word, whether that was through preaching or whether that was you know through written articles, essays that I gave to my church, and then uh, some of them some of them uh, had a larger audience. But the the idea of that was as, as I was wrestling in my own spirits, because you know I'll tell you for, first off, as as the pandemic hit, and then as we were closed for a few weeks. Um, my, my spirit was not settled. I, I'd be looking into a camera like I'm looking into tonight and uh, addressing uh, the congregation. And I never called it a sermon. I'd always called it an address because I knew this this wasn't church. This wasn't mm. a sermon. You know, this this wasn't the way things ought to be. And and there was a time when I looked in that camera and said goodbye to the congregation, and, and I just cried because I, I couldn't actually pastor my church. It was it, it was wrong. And then that that sent me into the scriptures to um, to to make a case for us opening again and and of course when we go throughout the scriptures you have periods of history like the people of israel um in egypt and and the whole idea how how pharaoh wanted to to regulate you know god's instruction that he gave directly through moses and to the people to follow and and the people said said no we're, we're going to obey god and not you and then of course we have the people of israel in exile in babylon and and we have another instance where they have uh 
not not someone who's a god fear who's the magistrate over them and it was very clear in daniel's life life of three friends that uh, they were going to obey god rather than men and of course we see it among the jews and the christians in the roman empire that there there was always a matter of, of not just um if you were prevented from preaching the gospel but if you were prevented from doing what god requires you like you guys mentioned faithfulness so if you if you can't be faithful uh, because the magistrate is is somehow restricting or regulating um, what it looks like for you to to live under God, then you must obey God rather than men. And so, r- really early on, uh, I talked about those three periods in history and and list, laid forth that case. You know, talked briefly about Romans thirteen and First Peter uh, two. These are these passages that uh, we heard often during the pandemic, but uh, they're they're very clear that. Uh, there, there are limits on the authority that a pastor has, that a husband has, that a civil magistrate has, and 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 God is the only ultimate authority to whom we must be obedient to. And so uh, I ended up writing a whole number of articles, I think, uh, as I counted after the pandemic, uh, at least uh, I slowed down here in Canada. I think I, I wrote about 50 different articles to our congregation about different aspects of scripture, uh, I preached a number of messages um, as as time went on, especially as key key moments in the pandemic, as whether restrictions really tightened up or whether they were issuing court orders against us. And so it was so important that uh, that everyone knew in our church and, and if anyone was interested to peering in on, on what was being said from our church, that what we were doing was, was biblical. Uh, it was coming from an exposition of God's word. This wasn't a political statement. This wasn't, you know, anything to do with uh, maybe some of the other motivations that others had who were resisting uh, some of these measures and lockdowns. But we were, we were seeking to be faithful to God and found it important that we need to teach our congregation. And then, and then of course, encourage other Christians and, and to teach others uh, so they might obey God too. Yeah, that was one of the, uh, one of the things that we've, we've found has been difficult is there's a lack of the church holistically grabbing onto the reality of God's word when it comes to the ecclesia coming, the, the called one, the called out ones to then congregate to come together. Um, that, that especially as we've talked to men like you that have pastored in the pulpit while the government is, is condemning you for doing so not having the support of the church at large in Canada, that there was, there were many churches that felt compelled to bend the knee to Caesar instead of bending the knee to Christ. Um, have you found camaraderie amongst the few that were willing to stand? And have you seen any impact on the many churches that remained closed and even many that remained closed still? Yeah, well, of course, uh, the camaraderie and the brotherhood among those other pastors, um, you know, not too many in, in my own city, but as you think about our, our country and across my own province and across the country, you know, certainly connecting with guys, again, like James Coates. I knew James not before the pandemic, but of course, uh, as as we walked a very similar path together as pastors and as churches, it just uh, united us together in great love for each other. Uh, and then Jacob Riom, of course, in Ontario, and Aaron Rock, and and some of the other guys that were out there, and it 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 really brought us together. We recognized that it wasn't just 
uh, our position on COVID-19 that actually, you know, was, was united in our other doctrines were so disparate and, and all over the place. But we actually found out that on in the main, uh, so many of our, uh, so much of our theology was actually right in line. And, and especially when it came down to um, the role of the church, uh, the understanding of the, of the state versus the church and, and how to read those important passages. And, and we found that there was mutual strengthening going on. And for those churches, that I can speak of in my area that, you know, continued, continued to, you know, pound the drum of whatever, whatever the government was saying and continuing to appeal to Romans 13 or, or some, uh, um, you know, to, to the point where they wouldn't even say anything. Um, what we, what we found is that so many of their, their congregants actually started coming to churches that were open because they just wanted someone to speak to these issues, uh, that were, that were happening, uh, in our day and age. And then, not only that, but I think it revealed that some of these pastors were just a little bit out of touch, perhaps with with their own sheep, uh, because as I listened to some of their teaching, some of their sermons, they they seemed to portray uh, the non-compliant pastors or the non-conformist pastors as, you know, we're upset because we can't go to Applebee's for dinner, or uh, you know, we, we 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 we're shut out of Boston Pizza and we can't go to the restaurant, and so it's really you know, it's really an inconvenience and that's, that's why we're being selfish. And, and it really, it was, it was a mockery to the folks that were in their congregation uh, that were losing their jobs because they wouldn't take the experimental vaccine um, or were completely shut out of their churches, unable to gather, unable to sing, you know, ha- had to, to mask up and, and to feel like they were somehow, you know, these unclean lower class citizens uh, because they didn't agree with the narrative. And I don't think those pastors really understood you know, how hurting their sheep actually were. And, and when they came to our, one of our churches, boy, they, they would just be in tears as they came together in worship. And even something like shaking hands or giving them a hug uh, meant the world to them after not being able to have any kind of close contact for, for a year or more. Mm. And uh, so I, I hope that at this point, some of those pastors begin to realize just the, the damage that was caused by some of these measures and how they were rooted not in a, a biblical view of love um or any kind of uh, semblance of god's law but they were just you know I- ideas that were that were born out of a culture that is against god and in rebellion to god and, and they have not served to help anybody but have only made matters worse and our society worse and caused divisions and heartache and and all of the kinds of health ills that we see today in our society so uh, i hope some of those pastors realize that now and and have repented and will no, no longer take that course of action yeah, I find it, I probably find it a little less surprising in that there's a reason you found that you had similar doctrine, doctrinal positions. There's a reason you found, you actually had a similar views of the the call to shape culture, to build culture through the family, through the church body, um, and to affect change in the community. It's, it's not unusual. You had a view that you wanted to hold God's word as the authority. And that that's the starting point uh, to, to find community and camaraderie in, in strong Christian fellowship, hands down. Uh, and I am thankful. Yeah. I'm thankful for it. Yeah, because when this started, of course, you had some some ministries and churches that were open and some that were closed. And, and at, at one point, all these groups were together, right? And, uh, you know, they would gather together at, at com- conferences and celebrate the gospel. But now it seemed like the division was pretty apparent. And, 
and I, and I tried to think about, okay, what's what's the difference here? Some of these brothers who I would consider faithful in so many aspects, but yet I just don't see it here. And and I do think it comes down to uh, uh, the sufficiency of Scripture, and especially as it as it covers the Old Testament and and the law of God and how that applies to to life today, and uh, and the importance, like you said, of of living your Christian life not as a, as a, as a secularist. Uh, but you want to see every aspect of your life and your family, your church and society uh, come underneath the, the sway and the will of God. And uh, so I think, you know, that explains some of the uh, some of the apparent divisions that we see in evangelicalism today. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And there's a, there, there's I mean, fortunately, there's a lot of talk about it um, because, I mean, I guess if it's not being talked about, then it's not going to ever be addressed. But um you know, so I'm, I'm glad that that, that type of conversations happening, you know, you've got, you've got, um, you know, many of the pastors that have, that have stood, um, you know, up there and the, behind the maple curtain. Um, but you know, you've got guys like, um, like Joe boot writing books like mission of God. You've got, um, Aaron rock on his podcast. I mean, talking all the time about how to address culture and then you through your writings and sermons, um, as well. I mean, uh, coming at all of these different areas and, and opening it up, opening up that conversation with a biblical worldview to make, oh man, I was about to say cowards, um, to make, to make people have to defend their untenable positions, um, by laying bare their arguments against the word of God, I think is super, super helpful. And it's, it's one of the things that's been a huge encouragement to us. I know down here, um, watching from afar. I mean, we're in near, we're in New Jersey, um, which is like California East, uh, depending on how much you know of the United States. So we're um, not in a super, you know, um, conservative state. We're in a very, very liberal state. Um, but still, even then, it doesn't seem as bad as what some of the things that are happening in Canada were. Yeah, it's a, it's very sad. But that the conversation's happening and that, and that we have men standing up um, talking about these things, I think, is really, really important. I would say that I, I don't find I don't find you using uh, the term coward to be inappropriate. Uh, I literally read like thirty six verses when Jesus gives the woes to the Pharisees in church. <laughs> you did. It was great. I week. love it. I love reading long passages of scripture. You did so good. Oh I man, think it's I, so fun. I uh, I mean, Jesus had some things to say. I think he had some things to say. <laughs> I think when cowards hold the pulpit, I think calling them cowards is probably appropriate. Re- repentance. We desire repentance. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that? You remember that one video that we got sent? Yes, yes. <laughs> we literally got sent a video from a church in Canada where the worship leader was was finishing know, the sermon. Off, I don't know who that was. I don't know if that was a worship leader or All right, whatever. It was. Some some church official at the end of the service was worshiping and and they said, you know, that we had heard you know, we had heard that many of you are desiring that we would increase the number of people that can attend and there was like a cheer that went up from the audience. Yes, there was this cheer. And they then were, he said, they wait. Were audibly clapping. Wait, wait. <laughs> you could hear it. Let me finish. But we're not going to do that. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you just heard your church tell you what is appropriate. They're affirming the word of God to meet together and you're holding them back. I don't know. Yeah, it was I, bad. Uh, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, anyway. Yeah, and I think, I think that uh, is, is fitting because... In here in Canada, some some of the COVID measures were simply recommendations. You know, um, very early on, they had actually 
for, forbid churches from singing, although um, our, our church continued to sing and many others, <laughs> but uh, there, there were some churches that comply, but then they changed that and rather than, you know, the letter of the law that would incur fines to simply a recommendation. We found that most, most churches, um, if something was a recommendation, they had, they had, uh, they had no problem <laughs> ignoring that recommendation. And, uh, but only if it was going to be enforced with fines or worse, that they would then follow those things. So it, it, it makes you wonder whether, you know, is it really the safety and, and the precautions of COVID-19 and the measures, or is it simply the fact that they might get penalized? And so that would cause them to, you know, tighten up those rules and restrictions um, because they're afraid of a fine or worse. And, hmm. and of course, no, no one would ever say that they're afraid of any of those things. I, I've never met anyone in the last two years uh, that ha has ever admitted to being afraid of COVID-19 or afraid of penalties or anything like that. So uh, it, it's hard to to know someone's heart and motivation, but but certainly I, I would assume that there are many out there who were because of cowardice and afraid of the consequences, uh, refused to, to do what they were convinced was actually right to open their churches. Yeah, well, buy your fruit, buy their fruit that you shall know them. Yeah. Look, we all know it's Klaus Schwab. It was just a giant experiment to see how far he could push the people. Can he? Will the people just get in line? And turns look, out, turns out, a lot of them just push right over. Yeah, the, most of the Christians were like, "Yeah, sure, we'll do whatever you say, government, Lord, government, sir, sovereign, okay. government." Anyway, all right. <laughs> so, um, our our next question. Wow, what a rabbit trail. Our next question. Um, so, uh, your your arrest came. So you, you can correct the timeline because I know that I know that you were arrested twice. Um, yeah. So you can clarify which which happened when. But um, I, I know that your arrest came shortly af like after Pastor Coates's arrest, if I remember correctly. So when mm -hmm. when did um, you and Fairview, the leadership there, decide not to enforce the COVID restriction restrictions? How early was that, and what made you guys come to that conclusion? Yeah. So so James was arrested in February of 2021. And then I was arrested in May and then again in June uh, of that same year. Uh, but restrictions started here in Canada al almost a year before that in March of 2020. And it was actually after, you know, so, so in, in mid to late March, restrictions came. And at the time, we thought the apocalypse was coming. Uh, and so we, we did not meet for a few weeks. And then, but when we got into April, uh, and a number of weeks had passed, myself and others in the congregation just said, no, this is, this is not right. You know, uh, we've already passed the two week mark to flatten the curve and there was no curve to speak of in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, um, we just realized, okay. Uh, and as the goalposts kept moving, e even very early on, they continued to, to move the goalposts, uh, in terms of what, what they wanted and what they expected from some of these lockdowns. And, and so it was, it was at that time. Uh, that I began to write and have discussions. Now, uh, I had an, there was another elder with me at the church at that time, and uh, it, we were just not on the same page when it came down to uh, COVID-19. And so that, uh, it, it was beneficial to myself because it made me really think through carefully. Uh, I, I didn't wasn't going to be quick or reactionary because uh, him and I were just didn't see things on the same page. But uh, we got to the point where in our conversations, we thought, well, let's, let's put this before the congregation, not, not for a vote, but just to uh, let them know what I'm thinking and uh, to see what they, would they say any, any feedback that they would give. And so, so I wrote an essay and, and uh, gave that to our church in, in May of 2020. So we've been closed for, for about a month now, a little over a month. 
And so in the congregation just reading that essay, and I, and I described it earlier, where talking about the people of God in Egypt and then in Babylon and then, then under Roman occupation and how they would, even, even under a ruler who did not acknowledge God, they would put God first and obey God rather than men. And uh, it answered some of the objections that people would have, the common objections. And so I wrote that essay, gave it to our church, gave them time to read through it. And we had to, just a, a church meeting. And in that church meeting, it, it became apparent that we had, a, we had a few loud voices that were very strongly against opening, thought this was a terrible testimony. And so I, I left that meeting just really discouraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I wanted to hear from the other folks in our, our church. So phoned them up and it, and it actually turned out that most, most of the church uh, was actually persuaded along with me that we ought to open. So and so we we opened again, and I was encouraged because it was at that time too that somebody else in my congregation sent me uh, a sermon from Jacob Rayom at uh, Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo, as he had just addressed his congregation on the exact same things. So, so we opened up again uh, at the very end of May in 2020, and just very very quietly, um, we're open. We're not a lot of fanfare. We just we just kept meeting, and we didn't really get attention until. Um, restrictions continued to tighten and tighten and tighten until practically you weren't allowed anybody at church and, and our parking lot was getting more and more full each week as people heard from word of mouth that we were still open mm. and uh so that then then brought the police and they would they would come on on a sunday so this is now getting to 2021 the police would come and on those sunday afternoons after after church i'd go home and, and i would talk with james Coates because police were involved at his church. And so we were both anticipating, we both had the same lawyer and, and trying to understand, okay, what's, what's next? What, what are they going to do? And we were both committed to, to remaining open. And as the police kept coming to our church, um, there was actually turmoil within our church because uh, as I mentioned, the, the other elder was, was not on the same page and, and uh, he, he was very concerned that the police were involved and, and, and some in their church were concerned. This was a, a terrible testimony because of course in, in Canadian media, we don't have, anywhere close to any kind of right-wing media or, uh, you know, besides, besides rebel news who was, who was following us. But, uh, the, the mainstream media of course was portraying us as, you know, this, this anti-science group that this doesn't care about anyone. We're so selfish. And, and so the people in our church thought this was absolutely terrible. This was being said about us. And, uh, so that caused a lot of internal controversy in our church. And, uh, and, and most of the attention in the province is actually still being brought to Grace Life and, and to James. And so, so our church went through a, 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 some turmoil there as we sought to uh, you know, foster reconciliation and try to get on the same page as a church. But ultimately, that was unsuccessful. And, and when James went to jail in February, that, that just ended up um, stopping all of our internal discussions. It was at that point that that I said, okay, enough is enough. We need we need to stand with our brother. Uh, we, we can't be be squabbling here as a church about what is right or what is not right. Uh, we, we need to be open. We, we know this is right. I was convinced this is right, and many others were. So, so at that point, we, we remained open. And, and I think the government didn't understand the conviction of some of these men, and especially when they put James into jail, and, and he wouldn't sign to obey the COVID rules, and so they wouldn't let him out. Um, and so... The, they didn't really know what to do, and 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 we were open and defiantly open. As at that point, we're like we would invite the media because we wanted the government to know that we were open too, and and we thought if other churches were open, that they would relax those rules. Right. And ultimately, that didn't happen. But uh, so after a time later, after warning after warning after warning, uh, then in in May, um, I was brought to jail. They they issued a court order and then put me to jail in May, and then 
I was out on a technicality because they didn't serve, they didn't uh, serve me properly. Uh, but then in, in June, uh, I was brought back to jail and, and served the rest of the month of June in jail uh, before our summer uh, brought in a change of those restrictions. There were, there were definitely images that made us, I know personally, uh, very, just very, I mean, transparently, just very angry when we saw them. Um, and I wouldn't say angry at anything other than the injustice and sin that were present in the photos. Uh, but when we, when we were able to see them, uh, just cordon off a church. That was something that really, I think, impacted us. Yeah, like uh, they did at Grace, at Grace Life. Life. And then when they showed up bef- in front of your children to arrest you, that was something that that really impacted us. Um, because these are things that we're not supposed to be present in Western civilization. They were; these were not the principles. Uh, ostensibly of Christianity that that caused the spread of Western civilization. And it was so, I think, shocking. Um, but it, it jarred, it really jarred all of us uh, from the malaise. Um, we did not, we did not stay open, stay closed in our church for very long as either. I believe we had three total weeks. Three total weeks, and we were blessed with a wonderful, wonderful summer where we were able to meet outside. So we we began meeting outside. Yes, praise the Lord for that. Um, because we were we were convinced, as so many Christians that opened their Bibles, that God calls calls the shots over His church. He is the sovereign. Um, and and then to build, to watch twenty twenty build to the point where they were trying to exercise that kind of authority over churches in Canada, just to our North was something that was like, it was, it was an affront. It was an affront to our senses. I think to think that that one, they had recommended, you know what, we're going to flatten the curve. We just need you to close. That was bad enough as it, as it is. But then to see that there was go, there was no hope. And not only that they were going to continue to push as if they really were, the kings of the church. Um, I think it, it shook us. I know it shook a lot of us out of our malaise to not take for granted uh, the gift of the gathering and the blessing of the freedom to worship Christ publicly in, in the proclamation of the word. So, yeah, that the, that the arrest, your arrest, really <laughs> hit us really hard. Uh, so we're we're so thankful for your for the strength of your conviction to to walk through that um, and to be able to tell you that you know, here, at least screen to screen, uh, it, it, it was impactful for, for both of us. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, it's easy for us to, uh, you know, think that our culture has, has shifted from what it was, you know, even 10, 20 years ago. Um, and we, 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 we knew our Christ, our society was, was not getting any more Christian, but rather, um, you know, we live in a, a post Christian world, but it, it was shocking to see, you know, the fruit of what that society is increasingly looking like, you know, the, the intolerance, the totalitarian nature of society, how um, this this progress that so many trumpet is actually going to lead to uh, the destruction of so many homes, uh, our economy, uh, our, our way of life, uh, our way of worship. 
and and I think people are beginning to realize um, just what is on our doorstep uh, as we as we had a picture of that in the COVID era. Yeah, and don't even get us started on what we've been seeing coming out of your education system. Oh <laughs> yeah. uh, man, it's here too. I'm sorry, Pastor Steve is like, "There's nothing funny about that." <laughs> sorry. It really no. isn't. Honestly, it's it's it is terrible. Well, many, many many years ago, I told my church, you know, government education has no place for your children. Absolutely, you you cannot be a faithful Christian, and uh, and send your kids to a government school in in our country. You, you just can't. That's what that's what I've been trying to say too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're with you on that one. Hundred percent. That's for darn sure. Um. So I I know that it it's like a really it was a really weird phenomenon. Like thinking thinking back to, um, the time when you guys were getting arrested. Which sounds weird because it's like a arrest season. Um. But so it, it was kind of a weird phenomenon where. Um, like people would message us and be like, Oh, we, we hear that we hear that pastor Stevens was going to, is going to get arrested. And I'm like, who's pastor Stevens. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Then they would tell us and we're like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? So like, uh, were you, w- when, when you got that knock on your door, um, I believe it was for the second arrest, the, the June arrest, right. Um, yeah. like, did you have any lead up to that day when you got that knock? What was, what was going through your head? What was that experience like? I, I don't want to traumatize anybody here, but I mean, it, it yeah. uh, just looking for any sort of insight into what was going on. Yeah. Be, we had it, we had a heads up that things were happening <clears throat> because the, the, the point of our, the civil government in our province, they, they, they wanted us just to comply. Right. So they would issue a court order essentially as a as a threat to us so that we would comply. And in that particular case, before my arrest in June, they actually came came to my house on Saturday night and issued me the court order, which they said, if I gathered to church, you know, tomorrow morning. Uh, that I would be arrested. And so they, they gave that to me on Saturday. And the whole point of do that is to stop what we were about to do. And, uh, you know, it, it's similar to what happened even in, in John Bunyan's case, where they, they found a secret meeting where he was going to preach. And they came in and said, if you preach, you're going to be arrested. And he went and preached. And and so I, I went and I preached as well on Sunday. And so I, I knew that there was be consequences for that. Um, there were most Sundays I went to church and I would write the phone number of, of my lawyer on my arm because, uh, you know, I, I knew he wouldn't have anything else. And so I, I wanted to make sure I remembered his number. And that was just our Sunday. And if daddy came home for lunch, then it was a good day. And on this particular occasion, the uh, the lawyer actually tipped, tipped me off um, on, on Monday, right after, right after we had church on Sunday. Nothing happened on Sunday, but then uh, he phoned me and said, no, the police are coming to arrest you. They've let me know that. And uh, so I was able just to uh, send out a tweet on Twitter just asking people to pray. And then our family gathered together in the living room. We sang psalms. Uh, we prayed together. And then and then came the knock on the door uh, when the police were there. So I knew why they were there. Of course, uh, their offer is always, you agree to comply and we'll leave you alone. You know, you agree to comply and, and we'll be quick. We're just going to go to the station and back and, and uh, you can be home for supper. Um, but my wife and myself and my kids knew that dad wouldn't be home for supper because 
we have convictions and we will not disobey God and, and agree not to meet simply because the government says so. Mm. And at that time, our church was locked. We were meeting outside and, uh, you know, no risk of any kind of transmission. And this was simply a matter of their power and authority being yeah. exercised and wanting us to comply. And, uh, and so it was sad because my children had already seen me go to jail. Um, my, my wife already knew this, the pain and the experience of that. Um, I, I was well aware of, of the painful experience of, of prison, uh, although I felt I was better prepared the second time. And, uh, and so we knew it was ahead, but uh, everyone in our family knew that this was the right thing. This was honoring and pleasing to God and that this is consistent with Christian history. Uh, this, this is how, how it goes. Century after century, Christians are making the choice to obey God rather than men and, and accept the consequences, consequences and accept them with grace and, uh, and not be angry and to fight back, but to, um, to, to be submissive to the government in the sense that, uh, you know, you would go to jail willingly for your faith. And, uh, and I hope that spoke to the officers and to others who've seen that arrest video that, you know, we, we were the peaceful, uh, reasonable uh, ones uh, who were seeking to serve our God. And, and love, and love the community simultaneously. Um, yeah. I think we've, it's funny. You're, you're just, you, you mentioned John Bunyan. It's all, it's all I could kept. I, I kept connecting everything I was seeing directly to that. It's exactly what happened to John Bunyan. And I don't understand why we have to relive history. I mean, you're talking 1660 led to the, tra the traversing of an ocean to come to a new continent to establish a place that had more religious freedom so that what was happening to people like John Bunyan would be less frequent. I mean, that was what was all that, that, that period of time existed and people said, you know what? We really need to get out of here. <laughs> like we need, to, we, we can't, they're not allowing us to worship God. Let us worship God over here. Oh, that's a great idea. Send all the religious nuts over there. Now we have a place where we can worship and now it's happened. The exact thing is happening here. All you have to do is say, you'll, you, you will preach the way we tell you to. It's exactly what happened to John Bunyan. You don't have the right papers. You don't have the right permits. You cannot preach what you're preaching in this place at this time. I'm sorry. I'm going to proclaim the gospel. That was that's simply what John Bunyan said. It's the same thing that happens to, to Pastor Coates and to you, Pastor Stevens. It's the same thing. And I don't know why we have to relive history. The answer is no. We're, if we're going to do it again, we're going to do it again. We're not going to. We're not going to let the government simply get to do what it wants with God's domain. It's, it's God's domain. It's, it's his, it's domain. Christ's body. It's Christ's choice. Yeah, man. Someone should have said that. <laughs> um, this, this, this question kind of, I think dives a little bit deeper. I, I think, um, so you, I mean, you mentioned like total, you spent almost a month in prison. Um, yeah. and, and something that we've noticed just from talking, I mean, Justin, we, we got like, so people were just messaging us two random guys from New Jersey from Canada saying like, we are just so isolated. We, we don't know how to feel. What do we do? Our church is closed. And I'm like, I don't know why you're talking to me. I don't know why God has you talking to me. Um, but, but this, this isolation, this intense isolation. And I think, I think you referenced it before. 
like um, that people were experiencing um, and feelings of being alone and and just kind of on an island. Even the churches that were faithful who were still gathering, um, I, I know many just felt isolated. Like you know, your province is away from a, another group of of like minded individuals that are actually keeping their church open. Um, in some cases, so do you have any um, insights uh, you can give? Uh, for those people who, who have, who have felt that isolation or continue to feel that isolation, um, like w- what types of things carried you through your time away from your family and, and your church while you were imprisoned? And is there, is there any, uh, is there any comfort or hope or encouragement or, uh, resources for those struggling with isolation? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, certainly isolation is difficult because God has not made us to be alone. Um, and we, we are made to have relationships, meaningful relationships. Uh, we, we are made to be part of a household, um, whether that's a man, a husband leading a household, or whether that's just simply a child in a household, a wife married. It's, we're all made to be in a household. And I'm actually more convinced coming through COVID-19 that just seeing how, how unbiblical our society has become. And I think uh, even how our society is structured, where we, we've, we've we're seeing the the deconstruction of the family, and and certainly when we see it with you know gay marriage and with transgenderism, we're seeing the destruction of the family. But uh, even even more so, this this idea of of singleness and all these singles living outside of the household. It's just um, I think God's design is more of of being in that household until you go and you you are married and form another household and that, that's such a cohesive and, and safe unit. So apart even from a larger community to have, have a tight knit family in a household is such a blessing from God that will give such stability. And of course, God made us to, to be part of a, a larger community. And, uh, and the church is something that, that every believer who's struggling with isolation, man, they, they need to be part of a local church. And if you don't have one around you that is faithful, uh, you need to consider moving, um, you know, w- whatever it takes uh, to be, be part of a, a local body. I, I know we, we couldn't stay closed because um, the isolation was unbearable. We just, we just not designed to, to do that. And so, and we, we have folks that continue to uh, move to our city uh, from other parts of, of our country and even out of the country uh, coming to our city and coming to attend our church because uh, they, they desperately need community and recognize uh, that, that is God's design. So, uh, people are going to great lengths in order to do that. And there are times when you just don't have the community. You just don't have your household. Uh, you don't have those structures and supports. And, and of course, all that is stripped away from you when you go to jail. And uh, and for myself, as I was in a jail cell, not only uh, away from my family and my church family, but in a place that, uh, you know, you were some scary dudes uh, not sure what your what your future would hold, how long you're going to be there, and and knowing that you are there unjustly, hmm. uh, this this is not right. I, I am not a criminal. Um, I don't I don't deserve this. And when I reflected on that, it, it brought me to tears. Not hmm. because of my own grief, but because it is at that moment that I could relate in just a small way what my Lord Jesus Christ went through Mm. when his disciples left him, when everybody abandoned him. And when even he was forsaken from the father on that cross, when he cried out and when he suffered wrath 
that I rightly deserved. Mm. And that, that was an unjust suffering where he was completely alone, um, completely abandoned. And now in excruciating agony as he bore a weight of sin that I can't even fathom. And so in that moment, um, as I grapple with my own grief, man, I, was, I was brought to comfort that I could just for a moment taste a little, a small, tiny little fraction of what our Lord Jesus Christ went through. And then that gave me strength because I know, man, he, he went through that hmm. because he loved me, uh, because he loved his bride, the church. And, and I love the church and I love my wife and my children. So I, I can persevere through this suffering and I can do the same thing that he did um, at the end of, of, of first Peter two, it talks about how Jesus Christ suffered unjustly and, and he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God and he, he bore our stripes. And, and now he is the, the overseer and the shepherd of our, of our soul, a comforter. And so we can, we can turn to him in, in our time of need. And so uh, in our time of isolation, uh, Christ becomes our comfort. His word becomes so precious to us. And so it, it's not, it's not fun, but I think as you read through the martyrs accounts and you read about Christians who are alone and isolated, it is at that moment that they have such sweet communion and fellowship mm. with the Lord Jesus Christ and come to know him in a way that they never would have before. Mm. Um, so that would be my, my comfort to some of those who are isolated, get, get to get into a household that's healthy, get into a, a church that's healthy and then remember uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who can give comfort. Mm. Yeah. There's always, there's always, two, there's two things that, that stand out to me. One is people often want to say when you tell them, no, you need to be in community. They say, well, what about the Christian that worships in, in Iran or Pakistan? They're isolated. They have no one. And I look at them and say, you don't point to the exception to prove the rule that God has created you for community because God himself has always existed in community. He's a triune God existing forever and to ever in community and has created you for the same. Don't point to the exception as if it is the rule. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And the simple reality that, that the church is a family made up, right, of godly families. That's what the church is called to be. That, that protection is, is something that, that cannot possibly be bought. So you heard the man, pack up, move, get close to a, a Christ-centered, Bible-focused church. Dive into that community, pull yourself out for it, and, uh, and you will see, you will definitely see a difference in your feelings of loneliness and, and in your feelings of isolation. Uh, that is, that is a fact that, that, that is just true it is a hundred percent true. Yep. Absolutely. Amen. So I knew, I knew I liked Pastor Steve. I knew he knew, <laughs> he, I knew he knew things. Man, I was really skeptical. Things. I was really thinking we were going to walk away from this, like <laughs> hating it. And uh, man, it's really true. It's <laughs> <is> not true. <laughs> So if you're, you've got, you've walked us through this timeline very, very beautifully. So before we jump into what is recently, what has really recently transpired with some of the, the more current hearings that you just walked through, um, that, that in between space, uh, so, so from June and your time in prison till, till really till up until this past month, how has, how has God grown Fairview Baptist church? How has he, uh, grown inside of even your own home and your own family? Uh, what, what are you, what have you seen God do? Um, it's been, that's the, one of my favorite questions because every pastor to a man that we've gotten to talk to has just seen so many amazing movements of the spirit in God's people. So I'd love to 
I love it. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in, in January 2021, I was wondering whether you know I would still be a pastor mm. and I would still have a church because of just the internal turmoil within the church and you know with the police coming down and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it went from there till into the summer, and many people began coming to our church. And even even as attention was being brought to our church uh, through the the times when police were coming each. And every Sunday, it seemed like more people would come out every Sunday, just appreciating what we were doing. And people would come for a variety of reasons. Uh, some were other believers. Uh, some were, were just freedom fighters. And uh, and they came and they, they all heard the gospel. And so at, at that moment, there was a real desire uh, to preach gospel-centered message, um, to see, see people saved, to see people sanctified and grown, um, to continue to make sure we're, we're focusing on, on what our, what our role is at the church, church that Jesus Christ is exalted, that he is the King and, uh, and that he is the Lord of all Lords. And so in, into the summer, we just had people continue to come to our church and we had to find different spots to try to meet to it. This accommodate the number of people who are coming wouldn't fit in our, in our building. And, and not just to, to see God bless in that way, not just numerically, but in terms of, uh, how the people were growing through that season, you know, our, our prayer meeting, for instance, ha- had exploded in number and had exploded in intensity, mm. uh, to see people come and, and not just like in and out in an hour, but who would come for hours upon hours and to come and, and to pray and, and to pour out their hearts before God, uh, to, to see how they were being sanctified and how, how sin in their life was, falling by the wayside as they saw what was truly important. You know, the blessings that came out of that pressure that was put upon the church are, are, are so numerous that it has completely solidified in my mind uh, how right it was for, mm. for how mm. when, you, when you put Christ first, how everything else is going to fall into place. And we're always tempted whenever we're called to be faithful when it's hard to think about the consequences. And then hey, if I'm faithful here, then this will happen, this will happen, and then this won't be good. And so you, you start to to question what you're going to do. But after, after going through 2021 uh, and seeing the Lord so faithfully bless our ch- church and others like ours uh, for remaining faithful to Christ, it has just caused me all the more to, to not even consider consequences to just, I need to be faithful. And I know that that Christ will prevail, that he will build his church. And it might not look exactly like, I mean, we, don't, we don't know what that's going to look like. But I know that Christ will be faithful and that he will reward those who, who persevere and endure uh, for his name's sake. And so there's not much more convinced in my own mind. It has strengthened my preaching uh, to be more bold, to be more evangelistic. And, uh, and I trust that has in turn uh, helped help the church as well. And so we, we continue to have a number of folks coming to our church. I think our church, you know, it's, it's stabilized, but we're, we're about three times as big as we used to mm. be. Mm. And uh, we're, we're still looking for, for leaders and praying for leaders. And it's not because as a church that we're, uh, you know, trying to pander and just trying to make sure everyone stays happy. We're, we're, we're pretty, pretty narrow and pretty focused in our, in our convictions. And we, we, don't, we don't hide the fact that we, you know, hold high the sovereignty of God, the importance Amen. of of marriage and of family and, 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 and those things. And so 
Uh, we're, we're by no means a seeker sensitive church, but yet people are hungry for the word. Amen. And, and that's what's um, keeping them there because they want the word. Hmm. Well, Amen. If they're hungry for the word, there's only one thing you should give them. That's the word. The word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's really interesting because, like, again, these these weird connections, you know, like as we would talk to Anne and Trevor, they're like, oh, man, they, they don't know where they're meeting. They're looking for a new place. They tried this place. It's too small. And so we, we heard of that growth and we're just like just so thankful that that was happening. And one of the questions one of the questions um, that I think uh, Pastor James was was wrestling with uh at the time that we talked to them um was what do we what do, what do we do how, how do we pastor a church that's swollen so much so quickly i mean so like how is the leadership uh, i know you're praying for more leaders but how is the leadership ramped up um discipleship and training and equipping efforts to accommodate that so many that are interested and hungry and growing yeah well that's a real real challenge because our church is not a church that historically had a, had a number of, of programs that had a nice, you know, ordered tract of getting people through these this different, uh, you know, discipleship courses or what have you. You didn't have any uh, algorithms or anything like that? All just preset? Yeah, you you <laughs> just... know, that would be maybe something to consider, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're kind of more, more of a uh, more, more of a ground up, bottom up. We're more of a family. Yeah. And, uh, Amen. And so our church... What our, our main discipleship was being in each other's homes, practicing hospitality. And then on a Sunday, we would always have, have a meal together. And we haven't been able to do that just because of our, of our facility that we're in. Mm. But, uh, you know, to, to me, spending all, all day Sunday together and uh, and to do that over, you know, a period of months, you, you get to know those folks pretty well. You have them in each other's homes. And you can see the Christian life lived out tangibly when you're in each other's homes in that mm. way as well. So uh, we, we do offer a number of of courses like other church going through the fundamentals of the faith uh, from Grace Community Church or, you know, the Behold Your God series that Dr. John Snyder has put out. So these these are helpful courses that we do. We want all of, everyone in our church to go through that so we have the same, same foundational doctrinal truths. But the harder part and the part that takes time is is having the brothers and sisters get to know one another. And there's no quick way to to build that cohesion yep. and that that openness that you would consider each other, you know, family. And uh, and so that that just takes time. And so I'm just doing my best to preach as best I can, you know, and to encourage our church to, to grow together in relationship uh, and strengthen those bonds and, and try to identify uh, further leaders uh, to help with you know some of those one-on-one -on -one discipleships and counseling opportunities. Awesome. We say that too. The church is a family. Got to do it like families do. Yeah, and it's part of your DNA. So I, I know that stuff comes along. You're right. It takes time uh, to actually get people to say, hey, no, you're, you, the whole idea is to not be on an island. The whole idea is to come into the family of God and incorporate your family. You, you're, you're meshing right together here. You're, you're marrying yourself to the church as Christ would call. So, so that, that meshing does take time, but if it's a part of your DNA, I, I, I've, I'm always very confident that God, God is deep in that when it's, when it's the, the familial aspect of church and you've worked hard at it, that he continues to grow that. So uh, we, we've definitely experienced that. 
It's always messier and it's always harder, but it's always so much more worth it. So much more than any algorithm that you could have. <laughs> <laughs> Although the algorithm would be helpful. Yeah, and I, and I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think in, in our in our church, and and I know other churches do the same thing too. Uh, we want the focus to be not so much on on the ministry of the church being something that just serves us and that equips us. So when you think of church ministry, you think of I, there's Bible studies for the men or for the women, whatever it might be. But but in our church, we we really what we really want ministry to look like is us doing ministry. Mm-hmm. So uh, my Christian ministry as a pastor is of course preaching the word, those kind of public things. But but my ministry as a husband and as a father is to is a servant to leave my household to make sure that we are having you know good family worship and and uh, that I'm I'm aware of what's going on with my kids' lives and I'm shepherding them in the faith. And so the other men in the church have that that's their ministry. They right. have a ministry in their home and, and our women have a ministry in their home. And then we have a ministry of evangelism. We go out on the street to preach the gospel. We have a ministry at the abortion clinic where we're seeking to save babies' lives. And so that's the ministry of the church. It's us going out there and, and doing that ministry and we're, we're growing as we do it. And so I, I'd much rather focus on us doing the work of ministry rather than conceiving of ministry of, of me you know, being in the classroom and just getting more instruction. Uh, I, I think we need to, as Christians, to, to be living out the Christian life uh, as a ministry rather than, you know, learning learning more about it, right? It's 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 harder to pray than it is to, to learn about prayer. And so mm-hmm. let's pray. Uh, let's, let's live godly lives in our homes and let's go out into this world to make disciples of Christ and let's stand for justice, for truth, for righteousness. Uh, and, and let's do those things. And that that is our ministry. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All of that. That's, that's it. Uh, you can, a church becomes more programmed. It just becomes another institution and institutions turn into museums and then museums fall apart. And that's not what the church is. The church is a living body of Christ and got no time for that. (laughs) No time. (laughs) Well, in that, as you've grown, as you've, you've increased in having to, to identify leadership and kind of be flexible as your church body has, has both physically grown in number and is also growing spiritually. And now you're having to balance that. Uh, you just recently also kind of bumped back up into, uh, into some, some court hearings. So what is currently now going on? It seems like so long ago when, the, when you were initially being fined and arrested and now we're, we're to this point, uh, what exactly is happening for Fairview on, 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 and you and your family on the legal front now? Yeah, that's interesting. We, we obviously we got lots of lots of tickets. There is court orders. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all those things were happening, and we had one police officer that came to our house one day, and he just said, "Look, Tim, he goes, the the government's not trying to bury you in fines, but we ju- we just need you to comply." You know, that was the whole point of of continuing to ratchet up the consequences because <laughs> we need your compliance. And and I told the guy, I'm like, it doesn't matter how many tickets you come here in your hand or you know how many days in jail you threaten me with um we we will obey god rather than that we will gather you know and and if you take me there'll be somebody else and so um Amen. that's that's just the way that it, way that it is but at, at, so at the end of all of that you know there were there were two charges against me that sent me to sent me to jail those those some of the bigger ones and one of them was a criminal charge which would leave me with a criminal record and other consequences that would impact my travel and and, and other other things um, but in, in God's grace and providence, uh, those were both withdrawn from the government, uh, or from the, from the prosecution. They both withdrew those, those, those big tickets. 
And then I had about seven others that were against me. And, and more recently they, they withdrew five of them and only left two of them about physical distancing. And that was the, the hearing that I was as part of a, a one day trial that I went to. And, and there's one other charge that's uh, still needs to be decided that has is given against our church. And all through this, the, the prosecution has been trying to uh, and hoping to, to get a guilty plea mm. out of me and, and to make a deal. Uh, and I've been very clear with my own legal team and, uh, and tell them, tell the prosecution that on, on no condition would I ever plead guilty. And, and it doesn't matter whether, um, you know, the, the consequence for that is going to be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I, I, I will not plead guilty to try to get a lesser fine because it's, it's, it's a matter of principle. Um, it's a matter of. I, I did not do anything wrong. I was obeying my God, and uh, our, our our Constitution should, in fact, protect what we were doing rather than penalize it. And so that was that was made very clear. And, and at this trial, um, we heard arguments, and, and my argument towards the judge was essentially, it's not my job as a pastor to be a COVID enforcer, to to go around our church and to make people raise their masks over their nose or even put a mask on or don't distance that, don't uh, d go too close to that person. You know, that's just not my rule. Hmm. Um, our congregation was well aware of the, the rules and people were acting willingly and they, they came voluntarily and we were all acting according to our own freedom. I didn't force anybody right. to come to church. Um, I just simply didn't force anyone to stay home. And so um, I, I hope the judge, he sounded, he sounded reasonable. Um, it, it seemed apparent in those in those hearings that there's more going on here than just COVID. it, it seemed very apparent to me that you know these things are very political hmm. and it's more than just our churches stand on COVID, but how our church would would look at homosexuality or transgenderism uh, those things even came up during the trial might my, my stand on some of those things so it became apparent that this was this was way more to do uh with the ideology the changing ideology in our culture and and our church being one of those deplorables that this that this needs to go hmm. you know um and so i i hope i hope the judge um makes a good decision it's coming out at the end of end of uh october of this year so not about a month from now the judge is going to give a decision on that regard and then there's only one more uh fine against the church that needs to be dealt with and so we'll see Gotcha. Do you do you have um, any charter challenges from from Fairview's side as far yes. as as far as these things? Yeah. So those that was an update on the, some of the charges against me. Yeah. And then uh, the legal team that is helping me out, the Justice Center here in Canada, Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom, uh, they have action that they've they, they've they fired a, they've already filed a, a charter challenge and had a trial for that and if and if they win that then then all these tickets go away. Gotcha. Um, and then they've they've also uh, filed um, a charter damages case uh, for myself that uh, should be heard in November of this year, and and that is for unlawfully arresting me um, because when they first arrested me, I told them, hey guys, you did not serve me, and and they hadn't served me. I also told them the court order didn't apply to me, and that's now apparent that it didn't apply to me. And, and so, it's somebody in the police force or somebody in our, our our health system or whoever was calling the shots for enforcement 
uh, was not being truthful um, in, in sending the police to come and arrest me. And so there's issues that need to be dealt with in court. And so we'll see what happens there as well. So there's there's legal action going going both ways. Gotcha. Well, good. Maybe that uh, maybe, is there any way is there any way one of these can win you enough money to build a building big enough to house all the people? <laughs> I mean, it just, it just would be nice to use the government's money for good. I mean, if they're going to take it, they might as well. <laughs> yeah, you, you put a big plaque on there, donated by Alberta Health Service. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's one of my favorite no, I things. I think in these, in these cases, the goal is not uh, goal is not, is not money at all. In fact, you know, when they withdrew some of these charges, I, I'd, be, I'd be happy if someone just said, hey, Tim, we're, we're sorry for doing that. We kind of crossed the line. Hmm. Uh, but, but of course, no, no apologies have come. And, and even on this charter damages case, um, it, it's, it's, not, it's not the money um, that, that we are – I think this, this is very, very low and inconsequential, any kind of monetary thing related to this. But it's more of establishing a precedent in the future Correct. to say, look, uh, the church – is governed and ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot shut her down. You cannot restrict her. You cannot regulate her. This is this is this is not your lane. You you can't mm-hmm. come in here. And so uh, hopefully that is established through this. Yeah, I mean the the thing that the thing that I mean you're absolutely right. The thing that is most important is that your children and your children's children will not have to face anything like this because the protection will be so sure in in precedent. Um, at the same time, redeem all things. I'm just saying, if you get some of that money, you can build a bigger church and serve more people to, for the for the glory of God and the good of all men. I'm not. I'm Justin's just a numbers I'm guy. Just he, he, he does I'm the whole numbers just saying, thing. What are they doing with it? Let's be honest. We know what they're doing with it. They're inventing new ways to inject you with new things and make your children learn about whoever's just, teaching <laughs> shop class up there in Canada. You know, I mean, that's what they're doing. So, I mean, take that from them, then they'll have less to do that with. That's all I'm saying. Um, <sighs> that's all I'm saying. So. <laughs> Neither here nor there. That's fine. Um, one of the questions we've asked um, all of the all of the Canadian pastors we've had the privilege of talking to um, is, what do you see as the most pressing issue facing the church in Canada at, at this very moment? I know we're a couple of years removed from some of the worst atrocities and tragedies, but right now, what do you think is the most pressing issue facing the church? Uh, the church in particular, I, I think it has to do with there's there's still a lack of awareness of the battle that we're facing. You know, um, you, you read Ephesians 6 and we read about the armor of God and there's a spiritual battle taking place. And I think a lot of Christians interpret that. A lot of churches interpret that as an internal struggle, you know, that we have with our own pride and our own sin. And and so, so much of the scripture is is personalized and, and it fits so perfectly in our secular culture that that says you you can have your faith but as long as you keep it between your ears and you know keep do it in your house and so that that whole personal relationship where where christianity is just something that's personally and and all of all the battle and all the warning is is against pride against lust against against own personal sin and and those things are true but but ephesians 6 is, is not talking about just your personal battle with sin it's talking about this this spiritual battle, this truth war, this religious war, this cultural war that we're facing, where we live in a society that is is anti-Christian, is in rebellion to God, is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, is exchanging the truth of God, is is not obeying the truth of God that they know deserves their 
their death sentence. And, and the church for the most part is silent. We're, we're not, we're not engaged. Um, we're, we're not seeking to disciple the nations. Uh, we're not seeking even to you know, make robust disciples of our own children. We're, we're neglecting education. We're, we're neglecting the importance of, of the mom and uh, of the household. Uh, we're neglecting, you know, a, an entrepreneurial, you know, hard work ethic where, where you want to build a Christian business and enterprise to advance the, the kingdom of God. Um, the church is just, just not there. Um, mo most applications today are, you know, you just need to pray and read your Bible and that's, that'll make you a good Christian. Uh, but we, we want to have that, that conquering, uh, that, that warrior aspect that Paul talks about, even in second Corinthians 10, when he says that there are strongholds out there and there are these lofty opinions and this knowledge, this, this, these ideas, these arguments raised against the knowledge of God. And it's our job to, with the truth you know, storm those strongholds and to break them down and to, to take everything captive to obey Christ. Um, and you need a battering so, ram and grappling hooks, and that's what you need to I tear those ideas down. not active as they should. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I mean, if the government has tanks, we should have tanks too, right? <laughs> so we're not engaged. Um, if, if we think that, hey, I, I, just, I just don't like, yeah. Sorry, you can Sorry, go ahead. I, I cut you guys off there. No nonsense, not at all. It's we, the stream. It's probably us cutting you off. That's the, and we don't want to do that because we're enjoying hearing what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything you said, everything you said was one hundred percent accurate. Uh, the, you're you're right on it. That's uh, we we keep we beat we beat the same drums. I I think many of us that are are trying to think similarly about how God has called the church to act and live and move in culture are right there uh in the same way and and it, there's there's just no there's no more room for the 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 flaccid passive unengaged cloistered church there's just no more there's no room it, if that's what you want to be just pack it up pack it up and pack it in be all done because you can't, what are you in, in this world, in, in the world that we currently live in? If that's who you are, then what are you anyway? You're not doing anything. You're, you're, you're preaching some self-help fluff. And, and, yeah. And the common objection, of course, is, hey, that sounds like the church is getting very political. Don't you know the church is about the gospel? And, and it is about the gospel. And it is about the gospel for all of life. And, and it's not political in the sense of, Hey, it'd be great if we get our guy in office and, you know, this coming election is going to be the best election. You know, we, we didn't really need to work hard for that. Now that the weapons of our warfare are, are the truth, the gospel, intercessory prayer, sacrificial love. And it's these things that we want to practice in our churches, in our household and in the world. And we want to raise up our children to be influencers. And so rather than like counting on the next election to change things, that's not going to do anything. Uh, we need to be looking like 30 years, you know, 20 years ahead and training our children to be gospel warriors in that coming generation and has had, you know, living underneath the sovereignty of God in every aspect of our life, you know, advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, praying and then seeking to answer that prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ himself said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. 
we ought to be striving for that. Yes, and amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Active Christians with biblical literacy. It's living the word. It would be, it would just be so, it'd be so amazing. It's just so amazing. Let's, let's do that. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> it's almost like the word of God is like a, like a sword. Yeah. Living and active, yeah. able to, you know, cut bone and marrow and soul and spirit. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> one final, one final question this is more of a hype question. You've done so good. We have been so, uh, we have been so blessed to be able to interact with you over this time. Uh, but when we think about this time, we look forward to a coming future, to a coming time when we will be together at an awesome conference entitled the church at war. <laughs> do you have a, do you have like a little snippet about some of the content you might be, uh, you know, Oh, we're doing a sneak oh, preview right now. Do we get a sneak preview? <laughs> <laughs> do you even know, do you, do you have the, well, uh, I, the title I, of your, I can't give you a sneak preview of some of that content. Oh, why do we even do this? We're trying to get the inside track here. <laughs> oh man, uh, I don't, we are very excited to be able to meet you uh, and and hug you. I, wait, can, can we do that in Canada? Do, they, do people do that in Canada? Yeah, we do holy kiss here. We're commanded oh, five times in scripture. This is perfect. <laughs> this is great. I'm all about this. This is my kind of place. <laughs> we, are, we are we are looking forward to the day when we'll be able to uh, to embrace you. Uh, and so many other brothers that we have we have known from afar. Um, although we are we are scared to come to Canada, we're scared we might never be able to come home again. <laughs> Mostly because of your horrible, horrible leadership up there in Canada. We're very scared, but we're looking forward to it. We're very excited as well. Definitely looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I can say the conference will be excellent. I I, I know it'll be just a, a great time of fellowship and encouragement with so many like-minded brothers and sisters together. And, and of course the subject matter talking about the church at war and the antichrist and his ruin, uh, just reflecting on, on John Bunyan and his life. And then mm. also, you know, the Canadian church and, and how we seek to, we have, the, we have the same theology, the same God uh, who is living and active and who will accomplish great things. And, you know, even for all of the persecution that John Bunyan suffered, uh, in, in just a few short years, things turned around in this country, and and it, and it was because of the strength of the church. And so we pray for the same thing to happen in Canada, and then also in every country that we would see a strong church, and then because of that, we would see a strong magistrate who would uphold the law of God and and seek to be a blessing to the people under his rule. Mm. Yes, and amen. Everybody's yes, and like, amen. Everybody's like, oh, you're like a Christian nationalist. And I'm like, no, I'm a Christian internationalist, man. I'm like a Christian globalist. I'm talking about <laughs> the whole world under Christian the sovereign globalist. The whole world under the sovereign rule of God. What are you talking about, Christian nationalist? Please, as if this nation is big enough to contain. No, we need the glory to spread all over the face of this creation. Anyway, neither here nor there. This has been a lo- this has been an absolutely wonderful time. Uh, we are super thankful uh, to share it with you, Pastor Tim, and and I I thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, and yeah, I, I do, guys. I do pray continued blessing on you, uh, your family, and and the ministry of Fairview Baptist Church. Yes, and amen. Yes, and amen. At the close of every Carpe Fide podcast, one of the things we like to say, Pastor Tim, uh, is that we hope you listener have been encouraged in this time to seize, seize the, the faith. faith.